ready for the word. Well, I began, um, I want to say probably about a week ago, uh, last Sunday as a matter of fact, sharing on living with the word, living with the word of God. And it kind of follows along the same lines as uh, living with, with vision. Now, what I'd like to do this morning before I take the next step in this message um, is I want to give you a little background um, about the Word of God and why words are significant. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes just about, about words and what they mean in our world and in the universe. The Bible says, we know in the very beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the what? What in the beginning was the word. So at the beginning of creation, God establishes words as the mode for executing purposes, plans, and promises. So it makes words the most powerful medium in all of the universe. Nothing is more effective, more powerful at transmitting purposes, communicating plans and promises than words. God created everything by speaking. He created through his words. Let there be, God said, and there was. And then almost immediately, Satan steps onto the scene and begins to attack. And when Satan attacks, what does he do? He attacks with words. Has God said? He goes to Eve. And he begins to use the words because God uses words to transmit authority and to transmit power. And then we see man. Man lives and dies on words. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat its fruit in Proverbs 18 and 1. We see in the scriptures that... um, that God saves his people through words, through his word. Hebrews 8.10 says, For this is the covenant. A covenant is a contract that was made with words between two parties. And so God said, This is the covenant that I will establish with the house of Israel after those days. You could put for house of Israel, my people. So this is the covenant that I will establish with my people, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. I will inscribe them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So God says, I will establish covenant with my people, which will form the basis for our relationship, and it will all take place through the medium of words. And we see that Satan destroys using words. Those are the the instruments of his destruction. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 8 and 44, For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what's the problem with the devil? His words 
are corrupt. His words are lies. How does he murder? He murders through lies. <clears throat> so, people, it would not be overly dramatic for me to say this morning that the world is a battlefield of words in which God is saving, the devil is destroying, and man is in the middle choosing. And all of it is taking place over the medium of words. Which brings us to our message this morning. We used for our text last week, and I want to use it again this week, and I'm going to read it in a moment, Psalm 119, verse 162 through 165. But before I read it, I want to say what I said to you last week, that what you're about to hear is the bold testimony of a person who is living joyfully in a corrupt world because they've learned how to live with the Word of God. So do you understand, it is possible to live in a corrupt world joyfully, but you can't do it without the Word of God. So now listen to the testimony of the, the person who, um, who, has a, who, has, uh, who is testifying about this fact. I rejoice at your word. I'd like all of you to say that with me. I rejoice at your word. As one who finds great spoil, I hate and abhor falsehood. But your law do I love. Seven times a day and all day long do I praise you because of your righteous decrees. Great peace have they who love your law and nothing shall offend or defeat them or make them to stumble. So there you have this tremendous testimony of a person who says, I hate the falseness and the deception that I see in the world around me and the misery that it produces. Yet I live joyfully in this world. I have been able to escape that deception. I have been able to live above the death and the misery that the empty words that this world produces because I have found your word and I love it and I rejoice in your word. My message today is all about rejoicing in the word. More than just finding it, more than just believing it, if you found it, if you believe it, rejoice in the word of God. And why rejoicing? is so absolutely necessary if you're going to be victorious in God's word. First of all, let's agree that God's word is the portal of truth. It's not just the window through which we see truth. In a world filled with voices, filled with all kinds of ideas, thank God that we have a window we can look through and see truth. But it's more than a window. It is a portal, which means it's more like a door. We not only see, but we pass through. We pass through the Word of God into the very promises that God's Word makes. So, first of all, God's Word is a portal of truth. And when the world displays the emptiness of its lies and of its deceptions, God's word is always available to us, giving us opportunity to see the greater reality of truth. It's always there. The greater reality of truth is available to us every time 
we are confronted with the darkness of the world. There's a scripture that I love out of 2 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul basically says the same thing that I'm going to assume David wrote Psalm 119. Theologians can debate it, but I'll just, uh, I'll just say David wrote it. Sounds good to me. So David wrote that scripture, I love your word and I rejoice in it. And Paul basically says the same thing. David has said, your word transforms me. As I rejoice in it, it I'm like a warrior that's fought a battle and I have discovered a great cache of wealth. I have found great spoil. So when I find your word, I have found something worth the fight that I just fought. I have found great spoil. Paul's going to say the same thing. He's going to put it in different terms. And it's in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. The Apostle Paul says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look, not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And one translation says they are deathless. So Paul's essentially saying the same thing. I see in the word of God life, deathlessness, victory, transformation. And while I look while I am rejoicing and looking, I am being transformed into that very image. It's entering and having an effect upon my life. So both of these men, Paul and David, they're talking essentially about the same thing, discovering the treasure of God's word. And they're both contrasting the power of God's word versus the world's emptiness. If you, if you think about it, David says, he calls it rejoicing. I rejoice in your word as one who has found great spoil. Paul says, I am looking into your word. But he's, it's essentially the same thing. I am looking, I am rejoicing, I am pursuing, I'm seeing treasure in the word of God. However, I want you to understand, because this is where we separate the men from the boys, David and Paul are not describing uh, a student appreciating the intellectual value and the nuances of God's information. What they are describing is a warrior rejoicing who has just captured great spoil. Do you see the different intensity levels? One is interested in the information of God's word, the other one sees a treasure and sees, seizes upon it. Can you see the activity level? The intensity is there. It's different. It's totally different. And so what I want to preach into you or stir up in you today is the warrior spirit that seizes in those promises of God's word those truths of life and pursues them by rejoicing over the truth. That means when the devil has knocked you down and he's got his heel on your neck and it's not comfortable and you want to cuss and you're angry and don't look at me like I've been saved 30 years. I have no idea what in the world you're talking about. 
I've been saved 50 years and I know absolutely what I'm talking about from personal experience this week. We, look, we live, in a, we live in, as I said, in a battlefield of words. And so when the devil knocks you down, he's got his heel on your neck, and you want to fight back. You want to react. At that moment, David and Paul are saying, look to the word of God. There are promises that will thrust that foot off of your neck. There are promises of life. Don't get into it with the devil on his level. I have given you a portal. Step through it. The way through is rejoicing. Rejoicing over the word. Of, you can't rejoice because he's got his foot on your neck. There's nothing there to rejoice about. You can't rejoice about your situation. So what do you rejoice over? You rejoice over the word of God that says, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall my enemies harm you. So when the devil is hurting you, you can say, uh, 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 Hold up. Hold on there, ugly. I have authority over you. So I just praise my Savior, Jesus Christ. I bless him. I, put, I take the blood of Jesus over myself. When the devil has his heel of condemnation on your neck because he's caught you doing something stupid. You know, the devil loves to pretend to be a priest. He loves to pretend to be a preacher. He loves to pretend to be uh, a Christian. The very moment that you blow it, the very moment you do something stupid, the very moment you fail, he's right there preaching the word to you. He's right there accusing and, and telling you, well, what kind of a Christian are you? Look at what you're doing. He loves to jump in that, that place of, of trying to be God's spokesman whenever it comes time to point out your failures. But I don't know if you remember, but when David sinned, his, his terrible sins of adultery and, and murder and such, and his sin was found out and he repents. He spends seven days on his face in the sanctuary crying out to God and he pens Psalm 51. And there in Psalm 51, as he, as he nears the end of his time, he's poured his heart out. He's hammered out the issue on the anvil of God's word. He's come before the Lord. He said, Lord, against you and uh, you alone. I love that he said, against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. In other words, Satan, the accuser, who's accusing me in my mind and screaming words of condemnation in my mind, has nothing to do with what I did. It's before you that I've sinned. So I'm ignoring the devil. I'm ignoring the condemnation. And I am coming to you, Father, because I know that you love me. I know that you can forgive me. And I put my trust in you. And I'm dealing with you about it. And he shut the enemy out of the entire, um, the, the entire transaction. And near the end, he said, Now, Lord, restore to me the joy. The first thing David asked for Give me back my joy. My joy is my weapon. My joy is my armor. My joy is what will get me back on my feet and walk out of here and I can resume my life. God does not derive any advantage by leaving one trace of condemnation in your life so that you're slowed, so that you are crippled in your ability to exercise faith or to move forward. He has given us the gift of repentance 
so that we can be completely freed and go back to rejoicing. He wants us to be triumphant over the enemy. God is a God of victory and of triumph. Praise the Lord. And so both David and in his Psalm 119 and, and uh, Paul there in 2 Corinthians are saying the same thing. Through the word of God, I am rejoicing, hallelujah, in the joy that breaks the evil that is in the world and brings power forward. But again, I come back to this thing that I need to make this point with you this morning. This is not a student appreciating the intellectual value of God's word. This is a warrior rejoicing that he has found great spoil. Look again at that text. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. When you do a little uh, research on the etymology of these words in Hebrew, you find that the phrase great spoil literally means the, the bounty that a soldier has gained on a battlefield. He's just fought a fight and he has found on that battlefield a cache of great value. And so he picks it up, puts it in his pack. That's his. Praise the Lord. So he's all excited. And listen, he says, I rejoice at your word as one who has found great spoil. Let's imagine that what he found was a bunch of bars of gold. Praise the Lord. Or coins of gold. That would be awesome. Well, the gold isn't valuable because it's shiny or because it's golden in color. It's valuable because of what you can do with it. Do you understand that the spoil that, the, that he finds is he has found a medium by which he can trade up, by which he can gain things. It's the spendability. It's the economic value of what he has found. God's word is spendable. God's word is not like the words of the world. He said, I look at the world, I see falsehood, and I can't stand it. I hate the emptiness, the commercials, the talking, the endless on and on and on. And yet, generation after generation, thousands of years go by, the human race does not advance itself one inch. It's the same as it was 6,000 years ago. It's the same as it was 4,000 years ago when the world was destroyed by a flood. We're right back to where we started flood from the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be before the coming of the Lord. The human race may be advancing technologically, but we're not getting anywhere spiritually. And so he says, when I look at the world, its words are empty. They don't produce anything. There's just a lot of activity, a lot of exchanging of goods and of materials. But at the end of the day, there is no value being laid into anybody's life. They simply fall out that door of death at the end of life into oblivion, into darkness, into hell. So what is there that's gained? There is no gain. And so he's right to say, I hate the lies of the world. And so the church needs to wake up. And when we see how they dress and make beautiful and dress up and powder and fluff up all the lies that they teach our children in school, all the lies that they promise over the television when it comes time for an election, all the lies that come out of their mouth to get people to do what? They're not wanting you to improve. They're wanting you to make, help them improve. The world is self-centered and selfish. Why? Because Satan's running it. 
That's why it is. And, and so it's right for the psalmist to say, I've had it up to here with the world. I'm sick of it. They use promises. They use terms and concepts such as love and peace and joy, but they never deliver. They can't deliver. Their words are empty. He said, but your word. When you talk about love, I get love. When you talk about peace, peace enters my life. When you talk about joy, I'm rejoicing. When God says something, the very word he says produces what he says. The Bible says God's word is seed. When you plant the seed, it produces, it grows what he's talking about. Hallelujah. So, David and Paul are both seeing the same thing, and they're saying, we recommend highly that you rejoice in the truth of God's word. Because by doing it, you're like a warrior who is gaining great spoil. By the way, this is why many Christians have studied the Bible, read the Bible, can quote the Bible, but they are not full of its great spoil because they are passive about it. They're not rejoicing. They're just accumulating knowledge. And that doesn't do a bit of good. The Bible is like seed. If you don't plant it, if you don't break up the ground, if you don't put it to work, it's not going to work. And you do that by rejoicing. Rejoicing, think about it. When you're saying, God, I thank you that Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and 1 Peter 2.24 says, as he hung between heaven and earth on that cross, his stripes laid upon him brought healing to me. I claim my healing. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Father, that Matthew 8.17 says, he bore our infirmities and carried our diseases. He quotes uh, Isaiah 53. It says, with his stripes we were healed. And so I thank you, Lord, that you said great peace have they that love your word. Nothing shall offend them. Lord, I thank you for these things. When I speak them, I am sowing that seed that's coming to pass. I am rejoicing. And so the passivity of just simply learning things and thinking that God is going to move because you've learned something it's foolishness. I'm telling you, don't waste another day of your life just keeping a Bible and reading it. If you're not going to open your mouth, come on, somebody. If you're not going to open your mouth and use the process by which God created the universe, use your tongue. God gave it to you for a reason. Use your mouth to praise him, to rejoice, to lift up joy, to decree, to declare his word. You were made in the image and likeness of God to act like God. In the way in which he wants you to act like him more than any other way is through rejoicing. Through rejoicing. Did you know that the Bible says the way God fights his battles, it says he laughs at his enemies. I think he's speaking his word and laughing at them. <laughs> Look at that. And he's speaking the word of God. He laughs at them. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. When the, so I'll tell you what. Um, we're going to refer to the one who rejoices over God's word as a warrior. I've decided that right now, by the way. Let's refer to him as a warrior so that we understand we're not talking about a student. We're not talking about someone who collects new information. What, how did, what was it that Paul rebuked all the false god worshipers on Mars Hill in Athens about? He says, you people spend all your time 
in doing nothing more than learning some new thing. But you don't know God. Let me introduce you to the, to the true and living God. Hallelujah. And, and so I'm going to use the term warrior. Let's agree the warrior is the one who's rejoicing in life because the warrior hates the world's lies. Why? Why does the warrior hate the world's lies? Because they're empty. They're fighting for nothing. How do you feel when you fought for nothing? You're betrayed. You fought, you get nothing. It's empty. Words are empty. Promises are empty. Plans that lead nowhere. Purposes that are never fulfilled. But when you have found great spoil, why, did, why does he love the word of God? Because it produces, it's true, it's plans come to pass. The promiser is alive. And he is love and he is sharing and he is good. Everyone else who mouths the promises of the world, what is their motive? Their motive is self. Those promises are made, those things are, are made to manipulate you so that they are benefited. But that's not our God. Everything he does is to exalt, to lift up, and to bless us. Somebody say praise the Lord. I'm spending more time preaching than I am following my notes here because I'm getting a little excited. But that's all right. Praise the Lord. I'm probably doing better than what my notes would be doing if I turned them loose on you. Let me just say this to you, that uh, the warrior rejoicing over God's word, what he's actually doing is he's executing the covenant. He is exercising that awesome, amazing, extraordinary privilege of the blood covenant. I wish I had time to stop and do a little side message about the blood covenant, but it began with words. God made an agreement with Abraham, reinforced it through Moses and David and the prophets, fulfilled it in Jesus. And that, that agreement, that compact, that covenant of words has power and weight because the word that God spoke himself became flesh. The covenant went to Calvary's cross. The covenant died for our justification, rose from the dead for our justification. And so the blood covenant, the agreement of God's word is contextualized in these promises. This is a book of the blood covenant. And there's a reason why when you go through these pages, whether it's Psalms or whether it's the promises of the gospel or the teachings of the epistles in the New Testament, they always do the same thing that David did in Psalm 119 and Paul did in 2 Corinthians. They contrast the emptiness of the world and its futility and its death and the life that is in the word of God when people rejoice over it. So it's always bringing these contrasts. Why is that? Because it is a covenant that God has written, that God has fulfilled, that God has made with his covenant partner. And when God entered into covenant with Abraham, he fulfilled it with Jesus. Which means this covenant, these promises are between God the Father and God the Son. God doesn't even make this covenant between me and him or between you and him. He's already made it and fulfilled it between the son and the father. That's where the covenant is. Do you know what that means for you and I? There's no more having to work it out. It's worked out. It's already successful. 
It's already victorious. Do you know that on the day that Jesus entered heaven, having rose from the dead, the angels couldn't wait to open the doors and to lift up the gates and welcome the king of glory because they knew his first official act of business was going to be to cast out the accuser. The Bible says he no sooner got through those doors and they lifted up the gates and said, now is come salvation. Now is come the kingdom of God. Now is come Christ the Savior and the accuser is cast out and his kingdom has come. Why was heaven so excited? It was excited because that annoying, irritating, accusing voice going on and on and on over and over, that voice that spoke against Job at the throne of God would be cast out. And the Bible says that very day, his first act was to expel the accuser out of heaven. And the Bible says his voice would never again be heard in heaven. Let me tell you that when Jesus passed through those gates and entered and his blood rested on the mercy seat, Satan's accusations have never once entered heaven. God has not listened to the devil one time since Jesus rose from the dead. Why? He's too busy listening to the one who ever lives to make intercession. Jesus is up there speaking the intercessory word. So stop repeating the, the lies of the devil. Stop bringing them into your prayers. Stop bringing them into your conversation. Stop speaking them. The devil's only leading you into agreement with him. Stay in agreement with God and rejoice in the truth of the one who lives to make intercession for you. Glory to God. Someone say amen. amen. I love Psalm 100, uh, excuse me, Psalm 63 says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What's he doing? He's talking about the world. He's talking about the voices of the world. They're dry. They have no water. They may be beautiful. They may be thin and not have any fat on them. They may be in a, on a, in a cute little tight black dress. They may be driving a sports car. They may be appealing to you on every level that appeals to your natural man. But when they open their mouth, dust comes out. When they open their mouth, death comes out. When they open their mouth, flies come out. And I'm going to stop there because of the, the rest of the stuff <laughs> will leave to your imagination. But, hallelujah, David the psalmist says, Oh God, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a land that is dry and weary where there is no water. But he doesn't stop there. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary. The sanctuary of your word. I've seen you, Lord. And I have seen your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. This is what's wrong with life, but your loving kindness it's better than life. Hallelujah. Did I not tell you at the beginning that God always gives you something to rejoice over when life is, what, what did uh, Irma Bombeck say? When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Your loving kindness is better than life, so my lips shall praise you. Let me pull one out of the New Testament, one of my favorites in James. People love to, 
to quote this, and they get it wrong all the time. We're going to set the record straight for you this morning. James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So let endurance have its perfect result so that you can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, here's how people interpret this. And on its face, I, I get why they do it. Consider, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, consider it all joy. It is that passive kind of, well, I'm in the midst of a horrible, fiery trial. It's wicked up all the moisture. I got nothing good to say. My mouth is filled with the dry, foul, stinking dust that the world's crammed in there with all its empty promises. I am going through trials. James did not say, when you're like that, just whistle a little tune. Just think of happy thoughts. Think happy thoughts. Consider it all joy. Just, just try to just visualize Jesus on the cross and If you've done that, you know that really doesn't do much for you. You know, when you're in the middle of a bone-crushing trial, it doesn't help, does it? Considering a mess to be joyous? No, that's not at all. God is never going to ask you to look at a mess and say, oh, that's marvelous. Well, I just consider that all joy. Absolutely wrong. The word that the, that the translators translated, consider it all joy, has a more specific meaning. It's got a little more energy behind it. It is the word command. And that changes everything. Yes. Command it all joy when you fall into various temptations. Lord. Stop being passive. Stop letting the devil grab you and shove that sawdust down your throat of the circumstances. Spit it out. Take your authority. Rejoice in the truth. Rejoice in the truth because by doing it, you are commanding joy in that situation. Isaiah said, with joy, you will draw water out of the wells of salvation. Somebody say, praise the Lord. I'm getting near the end, so get happy. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, is another way that we rejoice over God's word. This is what's happening, Lord, but I thank you because your word says this. I thank you, Lord. It's a form of rejoicing. Psalm 107 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord because he is good and his mercy endures forever. Why should I thank the Lord? His mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom the Lord has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So when I find myself in the hand of the enemy, what does God want me to do? Say that I'm redeemed. Get your filthy hands off of me. You don't let somebody grab you and start pounding on you. Get him off of you. You say, I can't get him off. Oh, yes, you can. Greater is he, 1 John 4, 4, that is in you than in he that is in the world. Listen, if the big ugly devil's got you in a headlock and he's uh, bending your back backwards and about to snap your spine, remember, Jesus lives in you. 
Begin to rejoice in Jesus. Begin to bless him. Begin to rejoice in the Lord. He'll jump up in you and take care of that problem for you. He'll get that guy off of you when you can't. Rejoice. Hallelujah. See, rejoicing is you acting on the covenant so that God can come and fulfill his word. You are acting as God's covenant partner when you rejoice. You should rejoice and not stop rejoicing. Hallelujah. You know, when you lift up thanksgiving to the Lord, you're lifted up. You ever notice that? You always follow your rejoicing. Praise the Lord. Your life will follow the direction of your rejoicing. Stop rejoicing, that's where you stop. When your rejoicing goes up, you will follow. Just remember when you fly on an airplane, you're hungry. They want to bring that service out and they want to give you the crackers and goodies and the, the stuff and everything, but they can't do it until what? We reach cruising altitude. Rejoice until you reach cruising altitude. That's what rejoicing is. It's coming up to cruising altitude. Then the service will begin. Then the stuff, the good stuff will come out. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Rejoicing in God's word is like rocketing into orbit. I'm going to close with this analogy of a rocket. How many of you have ever seen a, um, a, um, a launch over at Cape Canaveral? Yeah, pretty dramatic. You've seen, how many of you have watched it on TV at least? You've seen it, right? Okay. So rejoicing is like launching into orbit. Rejoicing. Praising God for his truth. Lord, I praise you seven times a day, all day long. I rejoice in your truth as one who has found great spoil. What's he saying? I'm firing up the rockets. The rockets are packed full of the truth of God's fuel. My rejoicing ignites that fuel. We have ignition. My rejoicing sets that fuel on fire. And the energy of God's promise starts to burn. And we get what? Separation from the earth. You get lift off. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about Romans chapter 8. It says in Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Here it comes. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the gravitational pull of condemnation. It keeps you earthbound. It keeps you bound to your sins, bound to your limitations. But when you fire up through rejoicing, the fuel of God's truth in those booster packs strapped onto your life you, those rockets will begin to roar and tremble. It'll be slow at first, but you will begin to break free of the law of sin and death because you are igniting the law of the spirit of life in Christ. And if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will what? Make alive, lift you up by that spirit that dwells in you. And as you climb the gravitational hold of the law of sin and death, is still working. By the way, when you're flying, you're using the law, a greater law than the law of gravity. The law of gravity, Newton said, what goes up comes down. When you apply the law of aerodynamics against the law of gravity, does it shut the law of gravity off? 
No, the law of gravity is still working. Cut those engines, you'll find out in a heartbeat. It's still working. You're using a greater law to supersede the effects of a lower law. All God is doing through the promises of his word is he's giving you access to his word, his laws, which he personally fills. And they always work against the empty laws of sin and of death. And so, as you are rocketing from that pad and slowly gaining speed, as you are lifting off from the earth that bound you and held you, gravity is still working. It's still working. The first mile, the second mile, it's still working. So you know what? Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't turn the rejoicing off. Don't turn off your engines just because, whoo, we're free. Whoo, we're free of, of condemnation. I feel better already. You're halfway there. Don't cut the engine. Keep rejoicing. You're not in orbit yet. Are you listening to me? That you're on your way to transformation. Something wonderful, something marvelous is about to happen. The law of gravity is going to become weaker and weaker. The law of condemnation is going to become weaker and weaker as you rise up. And there's going to come a point where those booster rockets will have done their job and they're going to fall away. Those, that stage, they're going to fall away in stages. And at some point, the Spirit's going to have you. You're going to be in orbit. God will have you. Now that's going to come one day when we escape these earthly bonds, but it can happen every day of your life. Every day of your life, that same principle can work. You can escape that hold that the enemy, Satan, uses through the earth to keep you bound to what is earthly and carnal and worldly if you will walk in rejoicing. Learn the truth, but don't just be a student. Be a warrior. You will find great spoil that you can spend, hallelujah, in this life on the victory that Jesus has given us. Glory to God. Amen? All right, close your Bible. Let's stand together. Thank you for the extra time you gave me this morning. And our prayer this morning is simply this. I'm going to pray um, what the Scripture says. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Pretty simple. I'm going to pray you won't forget what I'm, I've said this morning. I'm going to pray that it's going to bother you. I'm praying that it'll upset you. Somebody may have heard what I said and got a little mad. Good. I love it when people get mad. Have you ever noticed in the Bible that nothing ever changed till God made a prophet mad? Now just think about it. You usually don't make those really significant changes until you get angry with yourself and you do something, you all of a sudden hit a level of seriousness, you go before God, you get on your face, you say, Lord, sick of this. Come to you, Father. Come to you, Lord, and surrender. Life begins to take over. So happy are you. If you know these things, I'm going to pray that you do them.
And that this week is going to be lift off. Lift off. Amen. How many of you, this is um, not a rhetorical question, this is a specific question. How many of you need separation? How many of you need a liftoff? How many of you, there's something in your life that's holding you down, holding you back. That thing needs to be broken. God, you know that God has something better for you. And he wants to bring that healing, that deliverance, wants to bring you to a better place. Rejoicing in the truth. I'm going to pray God will show you his specific promise in his word that relates to your situation so that you could begin to rejoice over that truth and see that victory. Father God, I come to your throne. I thank you right now that, Lord, there are promises more than enough to cover every bondage that the emptiness of the world creates. Father, you love the world. We are, we are of the world. We were born into this world. You're going to return to this world, and this world is yours. There's going, to be, there's going to be a change of governments. Your kingdom is going to overthrow the government of darkness. But we, Lord, are your ambassadors ahead of time. We are living here, representing you. I pray, Father, for everyone under the sound of my voice, Father God, that the desire for freedom, true freedom as you have promised it, the warrior spirit will enter into their heart and stir them up and they'll know I don't have to be rolled over. I don't have to be tied up and bound by this foolish and ridiculous regime that presently rules the world. My king is coming and he is here now in me. Father, stir your promise up within them. And I pray, Father, that you will take cursing from our lips. I pray you will take complaining from our lips. I pray you will take gossip from our lips. I pray that instead of those things, we will praise you. We will declare the word of God. We will, Lord, lift up our standard, our flag, the word of God, and we will put the difference out there. Hallelujah, and rejoice in your word. And I expect that as we do, what it says in Acts will happen for us. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Thank you, Father. I release that warrior spirit in each and every man and woman right now who hears this message in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. He's worthy. All right, everybody, God bless you. Take time to fellowship. Have an awesome, wonderful day. And we can remember, uh, consider spending some time in fasting and prayer this morning as we stand with our brother Steve. God bless you. Praise the Lord.